Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is, why are lower taxes better than higher taxes? We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we are building an audio reference library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy or for those who simply need to get up to speed on a particular issue. So today we're going to talk about something that is very basic, and that is why are lower taxes better than higher taxes? But it may not be quite as obvious as it sounds. And today I'm joined in the studio by our resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. So Dr. Matthews, we want to talk a little bit today about why are lower taxes better than higher taxes. And this may not be as obvious, perhaps, as people think. I mean, if you're thinking about this purely from the standpoint of the taxpayer, well, duh, right? Lower taxes have got to be better than higher taxes. But it turns out that there are really philosophical reasons and empirical reasons why lower taxes are better than higher taxes. Now, I think there's this sort of general attitude out there, particularly on the progressive left, that paying higher taxes gets you more government services, so it all just comes kind of comes out in the wash, right? Mm-hmm. That this is just an elective decision we can make, right? Uh, you could have low taxes, and then people have to struggle and pay for things things themselves, or you can have high taxes, and then the government pays for everything. And it really all comes out either way in the wash. And, and then they'll it, point to things like the European welfare states, and right. they'll, they'll say— They'll say it's a much better life if the gov- if you're exactly. paying higher taxes and the government's covering all these basic and even some, some non-basic things. That's right. So they'll talk about countries like Sweden and Norway and Finland, and they'll say they have much higher taxes. But look, they have free— Government paid for child care and health care, like health care, and everyone gets to go to college for free. Retirement benefits. Exactly. And it, it creates this idea, again, that it all just comes out in the wash, that you can just, it's binary. You can flip a coin, either, either low taxes and households have to pay for everything or high taxes and government pays for everything, right? But in fact, this is a false impression, I think, that people have. Because if you look at a lot of these European welfare states, uh, a, there are some specific reasons why some of those policies work there that don't necessarily work in other countries. And B, it's pretty obvious that in some cases, those policies don't even work there. I mean, mm-hmm. we, you know, part of the story of the 90s and the aughts is a lot of these European countries with these high welfare states actually trying to find a way to dig themselves out from the problems that they have. And in fact, what they have found is that while you have all these high taxes and all these government services, their economies don't grow. Right. They have chronic high unemployment rates. Uh, the employment market is not as dynamic. It's not as easy to change careers or to change from one job or another. So it's not as simple. It's not as simple as just all coming out in the wash, higher taxes and higher services or lower taxes and lower services. And part of what we want to talk about in this Policy Basics podcast is why that is. So, you know, if you think somehow, I want to talk about this sort of both from the perspective of government and then from, from the perspective of the actual taxpayer, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you think that higher taxes are a good thing from the government perspective, 
you must believe that government is more efficient at allocating resources than the private sector is, right? So the, the part of the argument for higher taxes is if we allow the government to be in charge of a higher percentage of the economy, that will actually be better off. We'll all be better off than if the private sector is in charge of more of the economy. And see, I think this is one of the key things here. It's This is the part of the philosophical debate. Maybe yeah. you call it economic debate, right. but which is better able to manage the money? Mm-hmm. Is the government better able to manage your money? Not just your money, but money in general. Or are the individuals better able to manage their money? Right. And one of the problems, of course, is when the government's managing the money, it tends to take a one-size-fits-all approach, and individuals are able to sort of meet their own needs with the money. But you, you hear this time and again on education, on health care, on retirement, and so many areas that it, it would be essentially be better off. The underlying assumption is if the government has your money, they're going to be able to do a better job of handling and managing that money. You'll have more money, and there'll be less money lost in the process. Right. And so let's focus here on the efficiency idea, right? Because the question, I think, is, is the government more efficient at using money, or is the private sector more efficient? And to me, I think you and I would both agree that this is a no-brainer, that the private sector has got to be more efficient. Because, you know, we hear these stories about government bureaucrats who basically, you know, sit at their desk all day and don't have to do a whole lot. I mean, when when if you're relying on government to administer funds, basically you're giving the government your tax dollars, and then the government basically is skimming right off the top of those tax dollars an enormous amount of money that goes toward just government overhead, just the cost of employees and the fact that government employees make higher salaries and have higher benefits than employees in the private sector. And then we hear all these horror stories, again, about government employees who come in and basically do nothing all day long, and then they go home. You can't fire them. You can't fire inefficient government employees. So the idea somehow that government would be a more efficient steward of money than the private sector just seems to be kind of ridiculous. And just look at the just look at the issue that we faced recently where the the money from the pandemic was supposed to go out to help people who had uh, who were renters and so forth and they needed money to be able to pay that rent. Right. But that money got stuck in various government proposals and, and areas and the federal government was trying to hand it to the states. The states couldn't do it, manage it very well. Mm-hmm. And there was billions of dollars just stuck in accounts that the government had not figured out the right way to be able to distribute that. So just the notion of the government being able to handle it and do a good job. Whereas I sort of feel like if this, if it had been handed, if it had been handed to the private sector, they'd have been able to figure out how to get this money to people who need it. But the government did it. And there was various types of regulations, restrictions. You had to go fill out things. You couldn't find out how to do that. Mm -hmm. And it created all kinds of problems. And so much of that money didn't get out that it was creating a crisis for the people who were needed the money. That's a really great transition to sort of the next point I wanted to make, was that not only is government not as efficient as the private sector, but it's not as accurate, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what you were just talking about. So, so you know, the private sector is very good at deploying capital in an accurate way. It's needed here. It's not needed there, right? Because of the price mechanism, right? And because of the profit motive. Whereas if government's doing something, Everybody has to be under the same 
uh, standard. So, for instance, when you were talking about the COVID-19 relief money and things like that, that money went to households that needed it, and it went to households that didn't need it. Mm -hmm. It went to businesses that needed it, and it went to businesses that didn't need it, right? Because government has to treat everybody the same. It can't be granular. It can't be like specific and accurate. The rules have to apply to everybody. This is one of the reasons why we at IPI, early on in the COVID pandemic, we tried to champion this idea of instead of just giving out relief funds to everybody, um, create some sort of a government-backed line of credit. And so people could gauge their own need, and they could take out a line of credit if they needed it. If, if they didn't need it, they wouldn't take it out. And that would have resulted in a much more targeted, more accurate kind of a government response to COVID relief. But of course, that's not what government does. <laughs> government treats everybody exactly the same. And so you had weird situations where you had families that were not suffering any COVID-related problems. Mm -hmm. They Both spouses were still employed. Everything was still fine, but yet they got relief dollars, right? So government is not as efficient at stewarding money as the private sector is, and government is not as accurate in stewarding money as the private sector is. So if you're going to argue that higher taxes are better than lower taxes, you really have to argue that government does a more efficient job than the private sector and that government does a more accurate job than the private sector of administering money, of allocating money. And I think it's just, it's just clear from normal experience that that's simply not the case. I think one more aspect of that, in the efficient part of it, you have to argue that the government is better at avoiding fraud in the, mm. than the private sector. Mm. Uh, and we know and that's not the case. This is something you've done a ton of work uh, we, on. We, we've looked at this many right, times. Right. And the government is typically, when with Medicare and Medicaid, the government says they, they say there's roughly 12%, 10 to 12% of what they call um, ir, improper payments. Not all of that's fraud. But when you talk about something as big as Medicare and Medicaid, hundreds of billions of dollars, mm -hmm. uh, some of that, and they're missing some of it. So, I mean, it's a huge fraud element. And, you know, we were talking at one time with uh, with one of the credit card companies, and I, we asked the question, what's the fraud element here? And, well, we're not entirely sure, but we suspect it's maybe half a percent or yeah. something like that. Right. Just significantly, significantly less. And with the pandemic coming, uh, the, the the improper payments in Medicaid went up to about 25%. So a quarter of that, the government doesn't know. In some cases, it's just errors in uh, attributing or, or, you know, coding or something like that. But mm -hmm. in many cases, that's fraud. Huge amounts of it. Yeah, this is, uh, as I said, this is something I know you've done a ton of work on personally. And it's clear that just in the healthcare area, right, the private health insurance companies do a much more efficient job of 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 trying to eliminate fraud, waste and abuse than the government does. And mm -hmm. that's just that's just one small sector of everything the government does, but it's illustrative. It's a good example. And, and Newt Gingrich used to say uh, in discussion about this Medicare and Medicaid fraud, he said, I can go just about anywhere in the world, put my bank card into an ATM they know who I am. They get me money right, right then, right. and it's 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 it works well. The government can't seem to figure out who deserves to get this money and why and how to get it to them. And if it does, it tries to put all kinds of barriers up there to keep them from getting it to make sure they're not getting the fraud. The private sector has that part filled uh, figured out. That's exactly right. And there's one more point that I want to make, again, sort of from the government perspective. Again, if you think higher taxes are better than lower taxes from the government perspective. 
what you're really doing is you're refusing to accept that money and earnings belong to those who earned them, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, this is sort of a moral argument that when you listen to the progressive left and when you listen to Democrats talking about about taxes, it really is as if the people who own money and the people who earn money, it's not really theirs. It's like it really belongs to like the general society. Yep, all of us. And it's government's job to decide who gets to have what. So you look particularly at people who have been very successful and wealthy, and it's like, well, they're not paying their fair share. Well, wait a minute. They're, they're paying a much higher amount of money than I am as a middle-income earner, right? So, and But yet you still maintain that they're not paying their fair share. Well, what is their fair share? Yeah, what, what, how do you define right. a fair share? And, and you know who gets to define it? It's the, the government. The politicians get to define it. Right. So it's almost as if, if you really do believe that higher taxes are better than lower taxes, you are ignoring the idea that money and earnings actually belong to the people who earned them. And that... If your government and if you're going to make a case for higher taxes, you've got to be able to justify it somehow. You've got to be able to argue that there is a justification for higher taxes beyond just the idea somehow that it's not really yours. It's really ours to decide who gets to keep what. And and that's true when you go and borrow money. You have to go to if you're going to borrow money, you have to make the case that you you're you're a good risk, but you're going to take darn good care right. of this money that you're borrowing from the bank, and and they're going to want it back at some time. That's not necessarily part here. That's right. But you you have to make the case that you're going to be responsible with that money, and the government never really makes the case. It may say it's going to be, but it's clearly not. I'm just struck by how often in the political discourse it seems when you hear politicians talking about tax policy, they never factor in the idea somehow that that money belongs to somebody and you have to justify taking it away from them other than just because it's what you want to do, right? Okay, so we've been talking about this idea that if you think higher taxes are better than low taxes from the government perspective, but I think we also want to talk about it sort of from the economic perspective and from the perspective of the earner, okay? So one of the reasons why we would argue that higher taxes are not better than lower taxes is that higher taxes decrease the incentive to work and invest. And this is a fundamental principle that has informed our work here at IPI since our founding, you know, all the way back to like 1987. And this is the logic behind the the famous or infamous Laffer curve, which is that the higher the tax rate, the less incentive there is for a worker to work more or to produce more or to save and invest more. Uh, and we had the, again, we had this phenomenon during the during the 1970s where people would say, you know what, don't give me a raise because it'll put me in a higher tax bracket. And this is a bipartisan issue. It's not a, necessarily a partisan issue because remember John F. Kennedy wanted to lower the tax rates, the highest tax rates, mm-hmm. because they were so high. He made the case that that was a it was a restriction. It, it discouraged people from trying to make more money or working more. There's a pretty good argument that John F. Kennedy's economic policies were not that much different than Ronald Reagan's. Yeah, because he made exactly that point. He said, "Right now, our taxes are so high." Of course, during Kennedy's administration, they were much higher. <laughs> you had a you had a ninety percent top marginal rate. 
And when Ronald Reagan came into office, you had a 70% top marginal rate. And part of that was because once Kennedy was killed, and Lyndon Johnson becomes president. He wants to do a legacy to have that tax cut move forward. Mm-hmm. And he ends up pushing the various uh, Democrats, because the Congress was controlled by Democrats at the time, mm-hmm. pushing the various things he needed to do to get Kennedy's tax cut in place. Right. It was Democrats who recognized that and pull, and started lowering those taxes. And, and the interesting point here is they recognize that you can you can impose too high a tax rates. We think they're too high in many cases now. Then the, then the question is just, what's the right rate? Exactly, exactly. So, w- again, when we talk about why higher taxes are, are worse than lower taxes, higher taxes decrease the incentive to work and invest. And so you can literally have a situation where, why should I work harder and try to get a promotion? Or why should I work overtime in my job if that's going to push me up into a higher tax bracket and I'm actually going to end up not making that much money? There's no reason to do that extra amount of work. There's no reason to do that extra amount of productivity because the return to your labor, the return to your work is actually going to be less. And the same thing happens in investment. If the capital gains rate is 15%, That encourages you to take more risks and do more investing. If the capital gains tax is 50%, then it's like, well, why would I invest? Why would I take the risk? Because I'm I'm going to earn less reward. So again, from the earner's perspective, from the investor's perspective, one of the reasons why higher taxes are worse than lower taxes, one of the reasons lower taxes are better than higher taxes, is that Lower taxes encourage you to work more, to produce more, to invest more, and higher taxes decrease the incentive to work and invest. But let me add another point in there. You're saying that higher taxes discourages me from working and investing more. The other side of that is I may go ahead and work and invest at the same level, but look for ways to hide that money. (laughs) You are Mr. Transition today, because that is literally my next point here, right, is that Higher taxes encourage tax avoidance, mm-hmm. right? So, so proceed. And I, would, exactly. I, I wouldn't just say tax avoidance, but tax evasion. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, the, I may decide I want to. I need the income that I'm doing. I'm I'm working this much, and the higher taxes are going to take more away from me. Mm-hmm. But I can't cut my income, right? So I look for various ways to avoid taxes, and so that could be legal ways of doing it. It could be borderline legal ways of mm-hmm, doing it, mm-hmm. and it could be just flat um, evasion. Or So, for instance, I may say, well, I need to be able to stretch these dollars. I'll go out. I don't want to pay the taxes, the sales tax that's going on. Mm-hmm. I'll go out to the garage sales and look for that. I'll right. go to the estate sales where they may not charge taxes. Exactly. Uh, I may look for ways to work off the books. Or one of the things that goes on right now is somebody gets close to retirement or they get 65, they'll say, I, they'll create a a shell company, and the company that the company that was paying them will now pay the shell company, and they'll claim to they'll work for the shell company for say minimum wage, and the money goes into the shell company. They're still getting the same money, mm-hmm. but ultimately they're only claiming on their taxes the uh, what the, some kind of minimum wage that they're getting from the shell company. Right. That goes on a lot out there, and mm-hmm. I know people who did it. Absolutely. And, and you made the point that there's a difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion, mm-hmm. right? I mean, 
you're allowed to avoid taxes. And, and creating a shell company where the company I was working for now pays the shell company, and the shell mm-hmm. company pays me minimum wage, it can be perfectly legal. Right, exactly. So tax avoidance is legal. Tax evasion is illegal. Mm-hmm. That's where you might get into like the underground economy and things like that. But So the point here is that higher taxes, they don't only create a disincentive to work more and invest more, but they create an incentive to tax avoidance and tax evasion. Mm-hmm. And you end up in a situation where this is what economists call a deadweight loss, because you are putting your energy into things that are not productive for the economy. You're putting your energy into things that are simply designed to avoid or limit taxes. So you as a business person or you as an investor, you are engaging professionals in ways that don't actually create new GDP for the country, you're engaging them in a way that simply limits your taxes, that cuts your taxes. And as you say, it might even encourage you to engage in tax evasion, underground economy kind of stuff. Can I pay you cash? Can we, can we just do this cash? Can we do this without an invoice? Can I (laughs) barter with you? Can I, instead of this being an actual transaction, Uh, can I exchange goods and services with you so that there's no paper trail so that we both avoid taxes? And so, again, one of the reasons the Laffer curve works, we were talking about earlier, is the higher the tax rate, the resulting government revenue tends to decline because you're encouraging tax avoidance, tax evasion, and other ways of limiting your tax burden. And liberals hate this aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And if you remember back during the last of the Obama years, as companies were increasingly uh, going into inversions uh, with other companies in other countries so Mm -hmm. that they could lower their tax rates, Barack Obama got so upset with this, he was going to start imposing, I think, didn't he call it a patriot tax? Yeah. Where we're going to, if you if you're trying to take your money and putting it offshore or doing or you're inverting so that you're saying your headquarters is another low tax country or something like that, yeah. we're going to come find some way to come take your money and call it a patriot tax, patriot tax, because they didn't want people acting rationally as a way of trying to legally lower their tax bills. That's right. So let me give you a sort of a, a stupid but also good illustration of this idea of tax avoidance and deadweight loss, right? So it, imagine a scenario where uh, the federal government imposed a $2,000 tax on every American, but they said you could avoid the tax if you fly to Alaska and back, mm-hmm. okay? Now, that's stupid, but you literally do have things like this in the tax code, right? Okay, so if you were planning to go to Alaska anyway— right? On vacation, or you had family there or something, that would be no big deal. But there would be a ton of people who would say, okay, I wasn't planning to fly to Alaska, but flying to Alaska will allow me to avoid this new tax, so I'm going to do it, mm-hmm. right? So you know, let's just assume for the for the purpose of this illustration that the cost of flying to Alaska is $1,500, okay? So to avoid a $2,000 tax, you're willing to incur a deadweight loss of $1,500, right? So, And you get something for it. You get to go see Alaska. Right, you, are, you get to go see Alaska, at least maybe overnight or something. But the point here is that all of this energy goes into something that is unproductive. There is really, you weren't planning to go to Alaska. There's no productive reason for you to go to Alaska. The only reason you're going to Alaska is to avoid the $2,000 tax, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's a good example. In that case, you would have a deadweight loss of $1,500, that you spent $1,500 
simply in order to avoid a $2,000 tax. Otherwise, you wouldn't have done it. And those are the kinds of things that when you have high tax rates, you encourage people to do. You encourage people to find these weird loopholes and strange things that they can do to try to avoid taxes. But the cost to the economy is this deadweight loss cost. The cost of the economy is you could be putting your creativity and your energy and your money into something that's productive, but instead, because tax rates are so high, they're encouraging you to put your ingenuity and your creativity into things that are purely tax avoidance rather than something that is productive. And given the issue of tax avoidance, people go through a lot of effort to do to avoid taxes, spending money with various tax consultants and so forth. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that that brings us to another point, which is that you lower taxes are better than higher taxes, but lower and flat taxes. Mm-hmm. That is to say, where there's not these increasing rates all over the place, even if the rates are small. Right. Uh, you you now have if it's a flat tax. I have it makes it simple for me to fill out my tax form and Republicans have been pushing this for a while they were able to do it a little bit under Ronald Reagan uh Paul Ryan tried to do it it wasn't really a flat simple tax that mm-hmm. he he got passed but right. he was trying to do that uh but the notion of if it's not just low but flat so that the person who's making $50,000 a person making 100,000 and a person making $200,000 it's simple and easy for them to do that then you don't then I don't spend a lot of time trying to um even if it's law, I'm not spending a lot of time trying to figure out ways to avoid those taxes because it's simple and it's easy and it's not worth my time to do all that extra effort that's exactly right so I've got one more point here that I want to make sort of from the taxpayer's perspective why lower taxes are better than higher taxes And that's another one of these sort of moral arguments, which is that it's my money. (laughs) It's my money. In a free country, money belongs to the people who earn it. And so those who produce have a right to keep as much of their money as possible. And so government needs, if government's going to tax, and most people are willing to pay a reasonable amount of taxes Mm -hmm. in order to just maintain you know, c- civil society and maintain we, basic we get, government we get functions from government. Absolutely. But we're talking here about in relative terms, higher rather than lower taxes. And if government wants to charge higher taxes, if they want to raise taxes, then government has to be able to make a compelling argument. Why? Right. Because absent a compelling argument from government, why higher taxes are needed. There's a moral argument here that it's my money and I deserve to keep it unless you as government can come up with a compelling argument why I need to part with more of my money. And we know how this works because there are people out there in the private sector who want to sell us things, and they come and they try to make a compelling argument as to why we should buy this car, why we should buy this new aluminum siding, why Mm -hmm. we should have this lawn service or this pest control, they come to make the case for us, and we it's our money, and mm-hmm. we make a decision as whether or not, yes, I, I agree that's good, or, or I disagree. And generally speaking, we don't have government making that good case. They just essentially, especially these days, say, you need we need to raise taxes because we want to have a lot of money that we want to give out to people. That's exactly right. There, there is disappointingly little effort put into place by members of Congress, and presidents, when they want to make the argument for higher taxes, they don't do a very good job of persuasion of why it's necessary. They almost always just fall back on like class warfare rhetoric, like so-and-so, so-and-so is not paying their fair share or whatever. 
But in a free country, your earnings are yours. They belong to you. And it is the, the burden is on government to make a compelling case why they need more of your money. And that's just another argument, I think, why lower taxes are better than higher taxes, because of the, the absence of a compelling argument by government why higher taxes are necessary. So we've talked about two categories of arguments here. The first category was sort of from the government perspective. The second category was from the earner perspective. But I think there's a couple of sort of political things we ought to discuss as well. And that is that lower taxes are better than higher taxes because low taxes have the effect of being a check on the expanding size of government. Mm -hmm. Now, as it turns out, low taxes have not been a complete check. I was going to say, yeah. We seem to expand government, whether it's low taxes or high taxes. Because government has figured out that it can deficit spend and it can borrow. And so low taxes have not turned out to be a complete check on the growth and size of government, but they are at least a check on the growth and size of government because at some point the debt markets, the bond markets will provide a discipline on how much money government can borrow and spend. And you say that, and I agree with you, but we haven't seen that no, level yet. We're, we're clearly not there yet, although with, with some of the things that uh, the Biden administration and the congressional Democrats are trying to do right now, we may finally we may see find it. the discipline of the bond market kick in. But, you know, low taxes are at least a first-level check on how big government can grow and how much it can spend, and then a second-level check is going to be how many people are willing to just continue to loan the government money so that it can deficit spend. Mm -hmm. So so while it may not be a foolproof check on the growth of government and the size of government, if you do believe in limited government, you should believe in lower rather than higher taxes because it is it is at least a check. It is at least a pressure on government to constrain its growth and to constrain its size. Okay, so wrapping things up, why are lower taxes better than higher taxes? It's not simply because taxpayers are greedy. It turns out there are actually a number of really substantial reasons why lower taxes are better than higher taxes. Because one of the reasons being that the private sector is a more efficient and more accurate allocator of resources than government is. And there's the moral argument that money and earnings belong to the people who earn them. There's the economic efficiency argument that higher taxes decrease the incentive to work and invest. So if we want a growing economy, if we want increased productivity, if we want increased investment, we have to keep taxes low. Then there's the deadweight argument that the higher tax rates are, the more they encourage tax avoidance and tax evasion and unproductive efforts by people to simply avoid taxes. And then there's the argument that low taxes are at least one check on the growth and size of government. So there's a lot of reasons why, in general, lower taxes are better than higher taxes, other than just simply the greed of wanting to keep as much of your money as possible. Now, if you go to IPI's website at IPI.org, you can find almost 30 years worth of work on tax policy, tax rates, and tax reform, and reasons why lower taxes are better than higher taxes. And that's at IPI.org.
org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? And we would love for you to help us sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.